Hi, this is Bob Murphy, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. I'm Norman Horn, the founder of LibertarianChristians.com and now the Libertarian Christian Institute. Let's introduce our other co-host today. Hello, I'm Jason Rink. I'm a board member for LCI and glad to be here, Norm. And this is Doug Stewart. I'm also a board member for Libertarian Christian Institute, and it has been a long time coming. I'm excited to get it going today. And this is Nick Gosling, the executive director. You know, we've had a lot of requests for this podcast. It's something we've been looking at doing for a long time, and so we're really excited to get started here with this first episode. Great. Thanks, guys. Today, we're going to talk about our personal stories of how we got into libertarianism and how our Christian faith affected that journey. And then we'll explore some of the themes and topics that we are going to to do in our future episodes. If you'd like to reach out to us and ask a question or submit some feedback about this podcast, you can reach us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, our website, libertarianchristians.com slash contact. So let's launch right into it. As I said, we're going to talk about our personal stories. How did we discover libertarianism? What was our journey to doing in doing that, especially in the context of our Christian faith? Because all of us here on this podcast identify specifically as Christian libertarians. What does that mean to us, and how did we get here? To launch into my story, I want to get into first into a little bit of ancient history to describe my family. I grew up in a Christian household, and was early on exposed to the scriptures and was involved in church activities very frequently. One of the things that my parents emphasized very strenuously, to me at least, was the importance of thinking out the faith in detail and using critical thinking not just to, to absorb what was around me, but to really process it and ex- be able to express it on my own. And though we were a conservative household in, in, in the, both theologically and politically back in the 80s and 90s, uh, that was – that was always in the uh, in the backdrop of using critical thinking and reasoning to to express what we believed and what we thought about the world. We started homeschooling in 1995, and I think that made a big impact on me as well. I began to develop a, a great love of philosophy and theology uh, at, at roughly about at the age of about 15, and it really stuck with me uh, all throughout you know my college years and 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 beyond. When I went to college, uh, I was definitely a hardcore conservative. Uh, I graduated in 2001 as a high school student and thus went to college and very, free, very uh, soon thereafter encountered, of course, uh, the, the, the 9-11 uh, uh, disasters and bombings and the terrorist attacks. All of that ensued. And, and of course, you know, being a conservative at the time, I was very much in support of American interventionism overseas. And this is important because later down the line, this is a contentious issue uh, for for a lot of Christians who were thinking who were conservatives and potentially thinking about libertarian ideas. So fast forwarding a couple of years there, uh, what ended up happening that was really weird was that after getting together with the girl who would become my wife, my wife Caitlin, who will hopefully be on the show at some point or another, 
uh, her father uh, introduced me to some economics articles uh, that, and he just printed them off for me and said, I just, I'm just curious what you might think about this stuff. And these articles, ironically enough, came from the Ludwig von Mises Institute. Now, I had never heard of a guy named Ludwig von Mises or any of the other uh, big libertarian names at the time. And so when I started reading some of these interesting articles, I was rather enthused. I had studied economics in college, and but nothing to that degree. And I didn't, uh, I didn't have the background to, to just immediately uh, see its value, but I was curious. And so I got to reading these articles. I ended up subscribing to the mailing list, and, and I started looking around for more stuff. And as a result, I actually started – I went to the university library and found the Cato Journal. I started reading that, and I started reading the, the Freeman, the Foundation for Economics Education magazine. I started reading pretty much whatever I could on these topics. And uh, I just got really involved in reading that stuff. In fact, the next Christmas, I remember uh, my parents ended up giving me uh, copies of Human Action and Man, Economy, and State, uh, which are uh, the big tomes by Mises and Rothbard. Uh, and that was, a, that was a really exciting time for me. I got to read these fascinating uh, things, these topics that I had you know, never really encountered before at this level. Uh, I was studying to be an engineer, and so that was, you know, in tune with my analytical background. Um, and that was that was very it was, it was a very different but very exciting time for me in in learning about something very very new, uh, at least from my perspective, something I had never really heard about. And that being Austrian economics and the ideals of liberty, and thinking about uh, libertarian ideas, even though I didn't really even have the words to recognize that at the time. So following my uh, my senior year, I'd been reading, I'd been literally reading uh, you know almost every day on these topics for almost a year and a half. Uh, following uh, my following getting together with my wife and and dating her, and so following my senior year, we got married and we moved uh, we moved to uh, Texas, where I was going to be going to to the University of Texas for graduate school. I kept reading, and during that fall, in my first semester as a graduate student. I remember very distinctly. I was reading on my laptop, and I, I was reading. Uh, I was reading about uh, about libertarian ideas, and I finally just put my laptop down. And I said, "Caitlin, I can't do this anymore. I can't claim to be a conservative. I can ar- out argue myself on every single topic I can think of uh, with a libertarian idea as opposed to a conservative idea." And this was a big deal at the time. At the in two thousand and six, or rather in two thousand and five, that's when it was. Be be. Declaring oneself to be a libertarian and maintaining a Christian identity was not necessarily a very popular or common thing to do, despite the fact that libertarian ideas hold a lot of of, um, history in the Christian uh, worldview. And that is a a fact, and it's something that that, all libertarians need need to come to grips with. But at the time... Saying that you were a libertarian and a Christian just wasn't a thing, and in fact, you know, once I sort of uh, began outing myself to, in particular, to my family at first, it was hit with a bit of resistance. Uh, my parents were wondered, like, "What did? Why are you doing this?" Because in a sense, they they looked at it just like, "I don't. We don't understand why are you switching? Are you switching sides, or what? What does this mean?" And uh, and my and my in laws and keep in mind the my my father in law, uh, who gave me these articles to begin with, really was not a libertarian and still in many respects isn't. Although we hold a lot of common ideals together, 
uh, he was more interested in the way that I thought about these things rather than uh, seeing if I would switch an ideology to some extent. So that was a it was a big change for me, and it was a it it wasn't something that was common at the time. It wasn't something that was socially acceptable in Christian realms in many respects. I, at at my congregation in Austin, I had people who who heard about this. They, you know, they, I would talk to a few people and they say, "Well, does that mean you're going to go vote for the Green Party or something to that effect?" Because they they didn't know what it meant, and it was it wasn't about that uh, to them. They didn't have the 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 knowledge, the words, the background, and really the 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 way any way of explaining what what it was that uh, I believed and and uh, how to understand that. But when I when it came back to my family again, the the interesting thing there is that what I began to realize is that uh, what I was doing was taking the ideals that my parents taught me and that I learned through my Christian faith and was just trying to apply them as consistently as I could in the political realm. And it made sense to me at the time that that would be the case, uh, in particular with respect to war. One of the things that I think is the, the a big hindrance toward, for Christians who are thinking about libertari- liberty ideas, libertarian ideas, is how do they deal with interventionism? How do they deal with the, the American interventions abroad, in particular Iraq? And there's a, a lot of emotional and even to some extent theological reasoning that, go, that goes on behind the scenes for why they can't. Be a libertarian because they have to be in support of a war. So I think it's really important for us as Christian libertarians now to be kind of cognizant of that sort of uh, dissonant thought processes that can go on in in potentially uh, p- potential libertarians, Christian libertarians' heads as they're learning about liberty ideas. So fast forwarding another couple of years, I began doing a lot of study in theology and in. Uh, and and in you know philosophy from a, a Christian worldview and applying that in uh, with with a, with a liberty ideas as well, culminating in, the, in a number of papers that I wrote uh, as a student at the Austin Graduate School of Theology uh, when I was doing my master's in theology program there, and uh, and ended up you know getting a, a, some really great feedback from theologians, from friends, from libertarian philosophers who I would send it to. And to the point at which I started publishing this stuff. And uh, before libertarianchristians.com was ever a thing, I was publishing in other places as well on these topics about Christianity and liberty. Eventually, one of the – a major influence in, uh, in starting libertarianchristians.com was actually a guy named Walter Block who is a scholar and a professor and, uh, and a well-known libertarian who made it very clear that, you know, Norman, you can you've, – you've got an, some really good ideas here. Maybe you should start thinking about putting these out in a more cohesive fashion. Um, and it wasn't necessarily in just the Christian libertarian ideas. It was in other, some other aspects as well, libertarian thought. That's what ended up uh, prompting me to really get started and going after it and saying, let's, let's make a website. So I started libertarianchristians.com at the end of 2008, right after Barack Obama got elected. And uh, in, the, in the wake of the Obama election uh, forever uh, – we we started libertarianchristians.com. It was just me for a long time, but got some good attention from some friends of mine in the in the libertarian movement in many places, and started getting getting some good attention. And it grew and it grew, and we uh, began to see it uh, continue to grow, and not just on on the uh, the website itself, but on Facebook, and on Twitter, 
and in other places and getting quoted and getting uh, some interesting attention from mainstream media and having other people like Doug join me as, as co-authors to the point at which eventually we got calls that we started needing. We, they want us to do a conference. They want us to do more and more and more things in order to reach more and more Christians. And uh, after a couple of uh, conferences that we started hosting, the Christians for Liberty conferences, and starting in t- 2014, uh, it culminated in founding the Libertarian Christian Institute, which is what we're here today to talk about too. Uh, so that's really where we are now, and uh, it's been a it's been a really unusual journey for me, and and not something I thought I would ever really get into seriously. But when when it came down to it, it felt like a calling. And so that's where we are now. Uh, my goal is to help uh, the, the Libertarian Christian Institute get to where we want to be as a premier organization, uh, promoting the consistent harmony of libertarian ideas and Christian theology. And so that's what we're here to do. So, Norman, you started LibertarianChristians.com back in 2008, and that was precipitated by some articles by your father-in-law that he handed you. Do you even remember what those are? <laughs> that's a good question. I think I only remember one of them, and it was the it was entitled "Middle of the Road Policy Leads to Socialism." And it's an article by Ludwig von Mises. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. You know, I remember uh, I remember stumbling across libertarianchristians.com before I moved down to Austin. It's that seems right to me because when it, when did you say you started libertarianchristians.com? It was in two thousand eight. And we definitely, right. you and I had conversations yeah. before you moved down to Austin and we met for the first time. Yeah, yeah, because it was, you know, in 2010, early 2010 that I moved down to Austin. So, yeah, I remember discovering this website out in the wilderness that was talking about things that I was wrestling with. So, so yeah, a lot's changed since then. And um, I don't know, what do you think is one of the more significant changes that's happened recently uh, with the organization? Oh, so definitely since turning it into the Libertarian Christian Institute, I mean, the biggest change that we've made really has come fairly recently, and that's uh, that's hiring Nick Gosling as our executive director. And uh, thank God he's, he's joined us, and now he's here with us even, even now. And uh, so it's great to it's great to have him with us. I we've we searched long and hard for somebody we felt would be a great leader for the organization uh, and to take on day to day operations. And and to be quite frank, it's a little nerve wracking on me because that's my baby, you know. And so handing it to him, I can I know that I can trust Nick uh, to get the job done, and I'm really excited he's here with us. So actually, that's a great way to to bring to bring Nick on and have him. Start telling us about his story. Nick, why don't you uh, tell us, how did you get involved in this whole thing? Yeah, thanks, Norman. Uh, so a little bit on my background. You know, I I was raised kind of religious, but not really. Uh, I didn't really become a Christian until I was around 19. And so growing up, though, being patriotic and really loving America was a, an important part of my upbringing. And so I was raised to be very, very pro-America, very America first, um, pro-military. And and I equated that with, you know, whatever was pro-U.S. government was, to me, loving America. So that's kind of how I grew up. And so, of course, what flows out of that is a very sort of apologetic uh, 
shilling for the state. And that's what I what I was when I was younger. And so I kind of like kind of like you described in your own upbringing on the political side, I was in high school when 9/11 happened and that had a profound impact on me personally. Um, and you know as, as far as I was concerned, this was uh, the American government as this wonderful thing that was under attack and our way of life was under attack. And so it all just kind of went together. So you, you could say I was very neoconservative would certainly be an, an accurate label. And I, I stayed that way throughout high school. Um, at the very end of my senior year, I went through a very traumatic uh, personal experience when I lost my best friend to a car accident. And that was the sort of moment that the Lord used to uh, call me to the faith. And so I, I became a Christian around the time I was 19. But my politics didn't really change that much right away. Uh, you know, I mean, I knew that the Bible was the word of God. It was it was authoritative. I had to submit to it. But, you know, anyone who's been around American culture in the past 20, 30, 40 plus years you know, knows that mainline American uh, political opinion is, is pretty much falls into one of two camps. Right? It's either on the, the far left progressive side, which is very socialistic, or it's on the, the right wing conservative side, which is very much you know, uh, pro-war and using the state to enforce Christian ethics on other people. And so I, I maintained that sort of belief as being consistent with, with what I thought was the proper application of Christian theology to political philosophy uh, for several years in my, in my early Christian walk. And it was probably around the time of 2007, 2008, when I really started to get more involved in formal politicking. Um, and I... I didn't really pay a lot of attention to Ron Paul in those early stages, but I had friends who, who did. And I kind of, like, like many people, just sort of brushed him to the side, didn't consider him a serious contender. But as time went on, I was, I was doing a lot, of, a lot of reading, a lot of study in different areas of political philosophy. And I started to come across some resources by... Uh, Aaron Russo, for example, and Lou Rockwell, among others, that really started making me think that, well, you know, maybe the government isn't all that trustworthy. Maybe uh, it, it isn't quite the way I've been told. And so slowly but surely, my confidence in the state began to erode. And by the end of the, the 2008 cycle is when I had kind of come around to realize, hey, Ron Paul had been right that whole time. Now, at that point, I still wouldn't have considered myself a, a libertarian per se, but I would say that I had moved more towards the paleoconservative uh, type end of the spectrum. And within about a year or two after that, through additional study, reading materials from the Von Mises Institute, reading other libertarian thinkers, uh, it is when I finally kind of came to the realization that that I was a now a libertarian. And for a couple of years after that, 
as I think many of us who are Christian libertarians have, have gone through a similar experience, you know, I struggled to reconcile that with my faith because as I had mentioned earlier, I was under the impression for, for a long time, and I think American, American Christian culture has been under the impression for a long time that if you are a Christian, you kind of fall either into the, the hard left social progressive side or you fall into the, the hard right kind of uh, Jerry Falwell type side, and there really was no room for, for being a libertarian Christian. And so I struggled to, to reconcile this. But through additional study of like-minded people, as I started to look, I started to realize, you know, there there are people who have held these views throughout the history of the church, both contemporary and ancient. And so if you actually look back at the at the ancient church for the first three centuries or so before the reign of Constantine. The ancient church could arguably be construed as very libertarian. You know, you know, they may not have had a a developed understanding of economic theory, uh, which they I mean they certainly didn't. But the gist was, they just wanted to be left alone to serve one another and preach the gospel and be a light unto the nations. They they didn't try to ally with the state. They didn't try to get Rome to enact. Christian policy to bring the kingdom through the sword. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. And so really for the first three centuries of Christian history, the church was basically libertarian. And so I kind of came to to realize that what we're doing here is not so much proposing some kind of new uh, theology of, of politics. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the, things that's been said about theology is if you come up with something brand new in the Bible, you're you're probably wrong because there's been exegesis and exposition for 2,000 years, and so if nobody else has ever seen this before, you should probably rethink your position. But that's, that's not what's happening here. We're actually going back to the very roots of the faith in those early centuries and trying to recover that classical Christianity, which says, you know, the kingdom of God doesn't come through coercion. It doesn't come through having power over others, as Greg Boyd might say. It comes from service. It comes from love and self-sacrifice or power under, again, to use Boyd's terminology. And so when I consider, you know, what we're, what we're doing as, as LCI and as the church in general, I mean, it, are, are there are there more important issues than our politics? Sure, I mean orthodoxy on the gospel is is obviously a more important issue, but it's not unimportant because really this is about our Christian ethics. This is about applying Christ-like living to the public sphere for the glory of God, and that is a tremendously important task. And so when I think about you know, calling other believers to sort of see this and recover this ancient vision of what Christianity ought to look like in relation to the kingdoms of the world. It's it's really about getting back to the heart of of those ethics that we saw in in the early church. And that's tremendously important and I'm, you know, honored to be a part of it. So many great things you said there, Nick, and thank you for sharing all that. 
One question that comes to mind for me when you were describing many of these things, you talked about how before you, shortly after you became a Christian, but before you were a libertarian, you felt it, it sounded like you were what you were kind of saying was that a number of the sort of patriotic trappings uh, that that uh, that permeated through the church kind of they, they seem a little they seem a little foreign uh, when when I think when you kind of uh, take a step back from it and you kind of think of it from a more outsider perspective. Um, do you think that you know some of those patriotic trappings that kind of permeated through the church? Uh, like, how would you describe that as uh, in, in their relationship to the Christian faith at all? I mean, are they like, how does, how did that happen? I mean, to you, what, what did, what did you feel like um, after you started, you know, becoming a libertarian about those things? You know, I, I think as far as how it, I mean, you know, I, I'd mentioned Constantine earlier, right? And so really we're going up against such an institutional shift that happened in the church a very long time ago. And, when you look at the the development of Christian history, I mean, yeah, that was that was the big change, and you know, then you could also point to the reign of Charlemagne and various instances in the Middle Ages with the struggles between the church and the state. Um, it, it, tragically, even you can look at shortly after the time of the Protestant Reformation, uh, including Luther and and Calvin and other guys who had done so much for the development of theology in so many ways, but we're really just atrocious on this particular issue. Uh, and so that's just been inculcated into our into our thinking for such a long time. And yet, when you step back and you read the Bible as a whole, one of the things that comes across, I mean, if you if you are able to step back from from preconceived notions and and biases, is how shockingly anti-state it really is. I mean, you go back and you look in Genesis and you see the origins of the state uh, in Cain going out after murdering Abel and he founds the first city. And then you see Nimrod who founds Babel on the plains of Shinar. And we know what happened at the Tower of Babel. So all these instances are are acts of rebellion against God. And we see it again in 1 Samuel 8 when Israel asks for a king. And then when you look at the at the story of the New Testament, the overarching message of the gospel is that Christ has come, Christ is, is Lord, Christ is king. And the implication of that then is that Caesar isn't king. And so right there, the entire permanency of the state as an institution is ethically delegitimized by the advent of Christ, the rightful ruler over the earth. And I just think it's it's so tragic that as at least the American church, I, I sometimes wonder if our, our brothers in the two-thirds world don't struggle with this quite as much, um, but at least in the American church, we have this sort of mindset of God and country, and you know, you see the the ichthys symbols draped in flags, and you see American flags posted in church sanctuaries, and it's really just the idolatry of the state, and it is it is sin, it is idolatry. Uh, I it's you know, it's not wrong to 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 love 
to love your your country, but it is wrong to idolize the state and worship your government. And when you when you put anything uh, up against the the authority and reign of Christ, uh, you you are committing idolatry against him. And so I, I just somewhere along the line that kind of gets lost in in American Christian thought. We we tend to think of this as a a good thing, but it's really more culture than it is theology. Yeah, and to exalt those institutions in particular that have such a, a relationship with violence. You know, d- d- just even exit libertarianism for a second, but when you start exalting these sorts of things in the church service, in a worship service of the Almighty God, I think that you should at the very least think that that's a little questionable. You know, don't even need libertarian ideas to get to get you there. But yeah, thanks, Nick. I, I think it. You know, that's a some great insight there, and, and and just one of many reasons why I love having you on board here, of course. Uh, so let's let's move to Jason. I want to I want to talk with Jason a little bit about his history too. Uh, Jason, let's let's uh, let's talk about your story, and and don't forget to to mention a little bit of that. Uh, some of the experiences that we had together. Uh, in in Austin and whatnot, and and even before that, uh, with libertarianchristians.com and you and me, too. Uh, So tell us a little bit about where you've been. Yeah, uh, so it's interesting because, you know, when I think about the makeup of people who are involved in libertarian Christians, the different libertarian Christians that, you know, I've met, that we've, that we see engaging, um, you know, on the Facebook page or that we've seen at the conferences or even just the four of us here, there's a diversity of our sort of faith background. And then there's this diversity of how we encountered libertarian ideas. And I just, what I always think is really interesting is just how that diversity just permeates the church. And now when we're talking about, oh, how did we come across libertarian ideas? That diversity is still there. It's it's just how those how we've come to realize those ideas. And, you know, for me, I started, I, I became a Christian when I was um, 22 years old. So in college, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And uh, I became a Christian through like an independent King James Bible only dispensational Baptist church. And so, and yet it wasn't, necessarily the most fundamental Baptist church. I mean, there was like drums and women wore pants. And so, you know, it was, you know, that was pretty liberal, uh, King James only Baptist church. Uh, but so that's where I became a Christian. That's where I was trained in the Bible and, you know, I was discipled and then I decided to go into the ministry. And so I spent about seven years really just, really just studying the Bible and, if I read any other books, they were books about the Bible. And then me and my wife uh, and another couple, we went and we planted a church in Cincinnati in 2003. And while I was there, it was sort of the moment where I was sort of, I, I was outside of the mother church, so to speak. I was out on my own. I was in ministry. Somebody had deemed me uh, like qualified to go do that. And so now that I was there, I was starting to just think about all sorts of different, I don't know, little doctrines or little things that I took for granted about 
how church should run and how church worked and all these different things. I just started to rethink them and just make sure that I was solid in what I was thinking and believing. Because here I was in a position now of leadership in a congregation. And so certainly you encounter all sorts of different issues and you want to make sure that, you know, you're standing on your own faith and on your own belief. And so sure enough, um, I guess it was uh, around the 2004 election, um, which would have been, you know, the first presidential election after 9-11. And I don't know. And I think we were in really in the middle of the war at that time. I mean, not the middle the beginning, but we were embroiled in the war in the Middle East as a result of that. And I started to wrestle with some inconsistencies and started to wrestle with some ideas that I had um, and how they how they fit in with other ideas I had about the Bible. And and really, I was not very political. I wasn't like a hardcore Republican by any choice. I was really just a cultural Republican because I didn't know anybody in the church who wasn't. Um, everybody I knew was a Republican. George Bush was so much the president of the evangelicals. Uh, that was just like the brand that he had. And so I just sort of was along for the ride and I thought there was more important things than politics anyway. I was just going to be teaching and preaching the Bible and, you know, helping people out. This whole political thing didn't really matter. Well, as I started to dig into just some of these things and I started to be concerned about, you know, the war and what really really started to sort of make my mind go tilt was this idea that conservative Christians that I knew were so um, so vehemently opposed to abortion, like that wasn't even a question, was that, you know, children in the womb shouldn't be murdered. Like that was the whole thing. And, you know, that made sense to me. And yet when it came to children who were alive outside of the womb but happened to live in the Middle East uh, or just lost people in general who lived in the Middle East, like Muslims who've never heard the name of Christ and, and this idea that, you know, we would send missionaries and and send money overseas to like spread the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, be in support of this war, which was, you know, decimating lives. People were dying. And, and I had never heard any real legitimate arguments that any of these civilians who were dying in, in the war were, um, you know, responsible for any like terrorist acts, you know? So it just, I just couldn't see why those things weren't equal. Like why uh, I shouldn't even be more concerned about a child or a, a mother in the Middle East who never heard the gospel and like they shouldn't die, you know, that would be bad. And, and I don't know, that just seemed like so foreign to people that I talked to. And 
So that was really the entryway for me um, in my like modern libertarian journey. And then shortly after that, I, I was in ministry till about 2006. And then in 2007, I came across Brown Paul in the spring of 2007. In fact, I think I started listening to Ron Paul in like March of 2007. And by May of 2007, I actually met him the first time. So I went from being completely not into politics to then listening to Ron Paul. I just came across him on like some podcasts and then I found some videos and just really in a lot of ways, it was another like uh, conversion experience for me because what I was hearing Ron Paul talk about just made so much sense to me. It seemed like these latent ideas that I had that I couldn't articulate and that I couldn't really figure out why things weren't fitting together for me. You know, Ron Paul just introduced me to this, um, you know, worldview of libertarianism, the non-aggression principle, this idea of how, you know, the even the commandments of the Bible, like line up with this whole thing, you know, oh yeah, I'm supposed to love my enemy and I'm supposed to treat my neighbor the way that I want to be treated. And, oh yeah, this really makes sense. And so I, as I started digging into Ron Paul, um, as I started listening to him, um, I found myself starting a meetup in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'd never done anything in my life like that. And, um, I was just like, oh, I got to get involved in this thing. So I started a meetup um, in 2007 leading up to Ron Paul's, you know, well, he was already running for president, but leading up to the 2008 election. And through that, I ended up, you know, meeting all sorts of people, but I ended up getting connected with, you know, other Christians who who were like-minded. And we began to talk about these ideas in the context of our Christian faith. And then during that season of time, um, you know, going into 2008 and then 2009, I started an organization in um, Ohio called the Ohio Freedom Alliance, which ended up being an educational organization, um, you know, to discuss to teach libertarian ideas. And then it was just through the readings that I, I discovered through Ron Paul and the authors and uh, started reading about Austrian e economics. And I was working at Chase Bank at the time. I was in the equipment finance division. I spent 10 years in that industry. Um, and that was during like the Wall Street bailout. So I was starting to learn Austrian economics. At the same time, I was learning about the Fed. At the same time, the crisis was happening in America. So all of this stuff just collided in my life. And, you know, I just realized, man, this is important stuff. And so I just tried to find a way to get more involved in teaching people about libertarian ideas. But I, I wanted to make sure that it, it uh, you know, fit together with what I believed about, you know, the kingdom of God. And sort of uh, the, the place that it, it came to for me was, I don't know, I just, um, I just really started to dig into um, things on all of these issues, on issues of money and economics, and started to see how, you know, there was biblical principles that 
resonated with Austrian economics. And then I started to see about, you know, use of violence and use of force and how that, you know, you know, matched right up with what Jesus taught and how he, you know, conducted himself. And then I started to see all of these sort of anti-state messages in the Bible, started to understand how Jesus's message and presence and what he came to do was so radical and to the power structure. And then just, you know, the early church and how that was true, um, you know, sort of until church came to the time when they sort of got real comfortable with the state. And then now we've been sort of fighting against that ever since. But during that time that I've been, you know, educating myself, I stumbled across things like libertarian Christians, you know, in 2009, 2010. And, um, you know, that was, a an interesting connection because eventually, um, through a mutual connection, I moved down to Austin to start a nonprofit called the Foundation for a Free Society. And Norm Horn started, uh, he, he became a part of that board of directors. And so, you know, libertarianchristians.com was the only resource I knew like that out there. And here I was moving to the same city that he lived in. And sure enough, before too long, we would be sitting, having a, having a pint, talking about all of these things, libertarianism, Christianity, and uh, all sorts of other things that young men speak of over a pint. So anyway, it's been a great journey. Um, I think what I'm most interested in right now is, is I feel like the church is kind of even more statist than it was eight years ago. I, and I don't know, I didn't think that was possible, but I'm, I'm sort of in this place now where I've seen what happened in the rise of Hillary and Trump. And maybe it's just the people that are vocal out there. Maybe it's just what you see, you know, in the headlines, but I don't know. I'm just saw a lot of Christians jumping on board with Trump, um, who have just sort of, and they figured out a way for that to be all good. And yet there's just so many reasons why I don't understand how that works together. Um, so, you know, during this last election season, you know, I just sort of was watching what was going on and it just reinforced to me that, you know, we need to be out there or somebody needs to be out there, but I guess it's going to be us um, talking about these issues and talking about how libertarianism and Christianity all fit together. Jason, given the rise of Trump and now his election, do you think there might be hope for the left-leaning church to become a little more anti-state? They seem to be his most vocal opponents. Yeah, but, you know, I think the, the thing that's most troubling that I just see all over the place is just sort of the hypocrisy, you know? And I think that that will always be frustrating for people like us because one thing that's common for all of us is like we were trying to find this consistency in our thinking and the ideas that we're holding together. And I think we overestimate how much people want to do that in their own lives. Um, so I think more, many people are comfortable walking around with inconsistencies in their minds and they don't even really care. Or even if it gets pointed out, it's not, it's not relevant to them for some reason. But what I do have hope about 
uh, I guess, on on that is, you know, seeing things like the state of California wanting to secede and all of those things. I think this idea of like small government, you know, and decisions being, you know, the more personal the legislation the more local that legislation should be passed, you know, and this idea that this country trying, trying to legislate, you know, 330 plus million people from one central location makes absolutely no sense at all. But those, um, those urges I see on the left in response to a Trump presidency, they're not necessarily less statist because I'm just like, well, they just want to make many states, that are just real statist, you know, because they still want to have their statism. Um, so I think if I have any hope, it's it's for people who are younger and uh, really sort of the, the technology revolution that's happening and the ways in which the state is revealing itself to be a terrible master in the examples of, say, like Uber and all these other ways that there's these innovations where life is being made easier for people who are young, especially, you know, millennials and the state rears its ugly head up and tries to crush those things. I think those are the, the best things to make people question the state right now. But as far as the church is concerned, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not super hopeful right now. So interesting thoughts, Jason. Thanks for sharing that. You know, we actually have some articles on libertarianchristians.com that tell even more about uh, some of our stories here so far. Um, we will make sure and link those in the show notes. Uh, one of those stories will definitely be that of Doug, uh, Doug Stewart's here. Uh, when Doug first joined us at libertarianchristians.com, uh, one of the things I like to have uh, new authors do when they, when they join me is to write something about their own story. And so we'll try and make sure and link those in the, in the show notes. And, and now, we are, uh, now we can have Doug tell us a little bit about his story. Yeah, so I have always been sort of a contrarian. At least my mother has told me that. Uh, she told me, Doug, you'd argue with the devil. And my response was, well, he's always wrong. So well, that's an easy one. Um, and uh, so maybe, I don't know, maybe just being a libertarian is just the fulfillment of that. I don't know. I went to Bible college, and I was in Bible college when 9-11 happened. And my family was pretty conservative we voted Republican. Well, I didn't. I was a kid then, but they voted Republican. They had very little room for people who voted Democrat in terms of understanding or making sense of it. Uh, and so during it was during Bible college that I started uh, thinking about this whole idea of a Christian nation. And then 9-11 happened. And I thought, hmm, well, if we're a Christian nation and we have a Christian president, George W. Bush was very vocally, I'm a Christian. You know, he claimed that very vocally. Uh, well, why not turn the other cheek? Let's see what happens. Well, that didn't happen. If America was a Christian nation, America did not turn the other cheek. Um, and that really was unsettling for me. And it wasn't until a few years later that I really let that sink in. It just kind of hung there. I had other interests in college than, you know, figuring that particular dilemma out. I think it was after I started listening to talk radio after after college. I listened to Sean Hannity, and Sean Hannity make, made sense, and I enjoyed the guests that he had on, and I no longer enjoy those people anymore, for the record. I don't know. I started reading some books, and I started thinking about my faith in a different way, more particularly how the gospel affects 
the world around us rather than just our afterlife destination and how good news as an announcement and what what did that what does that look like for Jesus followers to carry out this announcement that Jesus is Lord and maybe that the gospel was bigger than my individual personal salvation experience and thinking about what it what it means to be a blessing to the world I would say probably my favorite theologian, still my favorite theologian would be N.T. Wright. There was a lot of influence, and he would not claim to be a libertarian by any means, but a lot of influence on him. The whole, what uh, Nick said earlier about Jesus is Lord implies Caesar is not. And that just kind of stuck with me for, for a while. You know, so I'm reading this kind of theology and thinking about what might be called with without giving it too much baggage with the term a social gospel what does it mean for the gospel to influence the world and improve it uh, in a way that brings god's kingdom to earth brings god's will to earth nt wright uh, brings up the lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and what do, what does god's world look like when it's brought to earth and how do christians enact that and live that out so while I was kind of wrestling through that kind of theological transformation, I went to, I started going to uh, seminary, and I had a lot of classmates who were very interested in social justice, and they were more left-leaning in terms of like either more willing to vote Democratic, or they they were very much about you know well we need to raise the minimum wage and we need to have universal health care and those kinds of things that. I hadn't really given it much thought after, you know, rethinking not being a conservative and being uncomfortable with the whole Christian nation aspect. Um, but something just didn't sit right with me. Um, I was kind of like, well, yeah, people should have a living wage, but wait, that doesn't really. And I just couldn't really kind of put it together. And I had this kind of intuition. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit kind of prompting me. You need to learn some economics. So I did some quick looking up, and the first book that I read about economics was The Politically Incorrect Guide to Capitalism by Bob Murphy. While I read that book, that led me to all kinds of other books that led me to the Mises Institute, to Fee, and some other online things. Now, during this time, I was still listening to talk radio, but I had kind of moved on from Sean Hannity to Glenn Beck. And Glenn Beck, for all of his faults, is probably why I'm a libertarian, because he said he was, and maybe he is more one today, but back then he was like, I'm a libertarian at heart, and that word kind of came into my consciousness. I, I mean, it probably wasn't the first time. And whenever he had Ron Paul on the show, it was always because of economic-related things. I was just enthralled with Glenn Beck's libertarian streak and then it was still kind of like yeah but he he always makes these little exceptions of yeah but this and yeah but that but then when he had Ron Paul on Ron Paul just made complete sense and you know he always respected him on the economy he knew it was his favorite person so guess what I picked up Ron Paul's manifesto and as the cliche goes the rest is history I was in Having read Bob Murphy, getting a good founding in economics, um, I also picked up Thomas Sowell's basic economics, and it was they were, it wasn't difficult. It was not dismal, as people say economics would be. Um, and so I just kept reading more economics. I could not just keep reading. I listened to podcasts. There were a lot of, um, I think it was from Fee and Mises University. Uh, there were a lot of podcasts that were there, um, sort of summer seminars that were recorded, and it was all available for free. Around that time, we had we had just bought our first house, and I was 
like adamant about I'm the one that's going to mow the yard. Do you know why? Because I want to listen to these podcasts. <laughs> and so I wanted to spend all my time uh, listening to this. Um, Andrew Napolitano for a brief period of time was on like Freedom Watch. And that was one of my favorites. And so I kind of got my education in economics from listening to Fee. Um, I forget the name of their online. Uh, I don't know if it was Academy or whatever. And Mises University lectures. And eventually, um, I was, you know, I think Norman beat me on buying libertarianchristians.com by about six months because I was like looking for it and I'm like, oh, it's already taken. Um, and so I had no, <laughs> I had no choice but to just reach out and say, Hey, uh, we're on the same page here. Um, and that, that came on, uh, about, it was probably late 2010. We had some conversations over the course of several months. I was blogging on a personal blog. Uh, a little bit of my journey and he and I were, you know, talking a bit. So at the beginning of 2011, um, I became a regular uh, LCC writer. That's kind of my story. I think my influences has been very much, uh, Greg Boyd was mentioned by Nick earlier. And I think that has kept me solidly libertarian for this reason, is that not only is Jesus, not only Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, but this whole power under approach to the kingdom. The kingdom of God does not come through force. It does not come through a sword. It comes through God's kingdom people loving and serving the world uh, the way Jesus did. So, uh, Doug, when did you first discover Greg Boyd and how did you kind of get involved with reading his works? (laughs) Believe it or not, I heard about Greg Boyd. I heard about his book, The Myth of a Christian Nation. I, at the time, I was engaged to be married, and we were in the throes of getting all that prepared, and I had neither time to read the book nor money to actually purchase it at that time. And I discovered that his church had the audio for the sermons that founded the book. So I remember driving from Pennsylvania down to Southern Virginia after our wedding, and we listened to The Myth, A Cross, and a Sword by Greg Boyd. That's what we listened to on our honeymoon. And we were just both like really into like, yeah, this is, this is really good. And so ever since, I've been a huge proponent of that book. And I think Norman could probably attest this is probably one of the most non-libertarian books that we find that libertarians have been influenced by. Would I, would I be correct in saying that? I think so. And, and by the way, that's, that's really romantic. I have to. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> that's good though. No, thanks, Doug. That's that's a, it's a really interesting story, and of course, I've been so happy to have you with me for all of these years now, and hopefully for many, many more as we as we continue. So those are all of our stories, guys. Uh, let's just uh, kind of conclude this first ever Christian uh, libertarian Christian podcast with a little bit of what you can expect going forward here. Over the next few weeks, we will be posting more podcasts hosted by uh, different different people that you've heard today already, and hopefully you'll you'll get to enjoy each one of those. Uh, Doug is going to be talking at, in in one of the upcoming episodes about pacifism and self defense in Christian ethics, and we'll have a discussion around that. And Nick will bring us a discussion about anarchism and minarchism in Christian thought, and I'm sure that we'll get into some really interesting historical and ethical and and theological observations there. So we're really excited to bring these topics to you. We hope you enjoy it, and we hope that you'll share it with your friends and family and and benefit greatly from what we're, what we're trying to do here. And if you do support what we're doing, 
We also invite you to donate at our website at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. We really appreciate anything that you can give uh, to help support the work of the Libertarian Christian Institute. So until then, we'd love for you to stay in contact with us. You can contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com, as well as on Facebook at facebook.com slash libertarianchristians, on Twitter at LCI official, and at libertarianchristians.com slash contact. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking to you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Libertarian Christians.